The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. As we continue to look at sort of the relationships in our lives, we started this series of sermons last week by just taking a brief overview of God as a triune God, as God as a God of relationships, and how God creates us in this way. We were made to be in relationship with other people. And so now we're getting into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty of what that looks like, and we've been using a triangle to help us uh, see the three different relational dimensions in our lives, the three different spaces that God has created us to live relationally. We have the upward relationship towards God, the inward relationship towards other people who we have a common faith with, and then an outward relationship to our communities and our world. So the up, in, and out. And so we're going to look at these over the next few weeks as how do we live balanced relational lives? How do we live lives that we're growing in all of these areas, flourishing even in these relationships? And so we'll start with the upward, which is maybe the hardest, actually. But hey, we'll we'll see. Um, And I want to begin by asking a question. Have you ever heard of the saying, it's not about what you know, it's who you know? Has anyone heard that before? Maybe you heard it from someone at your workplace who's not progressing as quickly in their career and they're frustrated because it seems like the people who know people are the ones who are getting the promotions. Or maybe uh, somebody who was in your high school and got into the school that they really wanted to that they didn't really have the marks for, but they knew someone at the admissions office and they got in. You know, the the power of relationships, right? It goes... Um, beyond, though, scoring a new job opportunity or going to the right school, the power of relationships actually shapes the, the person that we are. Um, so there's an article published in the BBC in 2019 that was talking about how our identities are formed and shaped by who we are in relationship with. And it said this, if a big part of how you identify is as a student from a certain university, or like the author, an academic, then that's what you take into most of the interactions that you have. He says, I see things first through my lens as an academic. And then he offers this challenge. He says, beneath your awareness, your brain is constantly picking up cues from the people around you to inform your behavior. And I find this really interesting for two reasons. First is that it should make us think. You know, we live in a culture that that is often called an age of authenticity. Which, which means that we're, we are told to look inside ourselves and to live out what we think we should be. But this is a, is a bit of a challenge to that, and it's saying that psychologically that's not possible. We are formed and shaped not by, by looking inside ourselves, but from the people around us. Sure, there's aspects of us that we can control, but there is a subconscious level in which we are shaped and formed by the people we are in relationship with. And secondly, this should startle us a little bit. I mean, I don't know a single person who has all their stuff together. And I don't think you do either. So you're being shaped and formed by people who are messed up. 
You know, this reminds me of uh, the words by G.K. Chesterton, a very, a very strong Christian, mature Christian pastor and theologian. And, he said, and, and when the London Times asked a question, you know, they, they would put these questions in. This is years ago, but they would put these questions in the paper and then invite reader responses to them and then publish those responses. And one of them was, what is wrong with the world? And you can imagine the questions that were coming back to, or the answers that were coming back to them. All sorts of people had ideas of what was wrong with the world. And Chesterton wrote back and said, Dear sirs, I am. There is that, right? That we are a mixed bag. And so when we talk about relationships and who is influencing us, we should ask ourselves the question, who do we hang out with? What media do we consume? What podcasts do we listen to? All of these relationships are actually shaping you and forming you into the person that you are right now sitting in the pew. And that's important, and the Bible calls this out because we are— this is why it's so important to be cultivating a relationship with God, to be influenced by the divine. See, a relationship with God makes us more like God. He rubs off on us. He supernaturally influences us and changes us to be the people we were actually meant to be. And this is actually, I think, what our church is built on. The first part of our vision statement is to be transformed by the gospel, which is another way of saying to be influenced by the divine, to be influenced by God, to let that be the thing that drives you. And this is exactly what the Apostle Peter is saying in this passage, in this opening statement. In a nutshell, he says to these Christians who are living in pagan environments, he says, don't forget that God has reconciled you. He has made it right again. And so you can be in a relationship, in a presence, in his presence. Therefore, you have everything that you need to grow in this godliness, to be influenced by God, to grow in your relationship with him. And so three things that we'll look at this morning, how to grow in a relationship with God. So first is that it's possible. It's actually possible. Second is that it's powerful. And third is that it's beautiful. It's possible, it's powerful, and it's beautiful. Last week, I had three G's. This week, I missed the mark. I had two P's and one B. But a B is a little bit like a P, I guess. It's possible. Verses three and four tell us so much that encourages us that it is possible to live in a relationship with God. Have you ever, um, have you ever been completely overwhelmed by a situation or something that you're doing? Maybe it was, it was an exam or test at school or a job interview or a presentation or retirement. For me, this past summer, I raced a, a triathlon race that was very overwhelming and caused more anxiety in me than I had thought that it would. And I began to question whether or not I was actually capable of doing it. Before I got to the start line, I questioned whether my body was capable of completing this race. And I, I can imagine that some of us here have been in that same place with maybe it's a, a presentation or a, an exam or something where you question whether you can actually do it. In the same way, I think the church that Peter is writing to would have these same questions with living out their faith. You know, they're living in a very pagan time, and everywhere they would walk, they would be reminded of the worldview of the age, right? Multiple gods that were um, thought of to be true, 
And, and so when they were walking down Main Street, there were temples, they were, they were calling their name to put their, put their trust, put their, their worship in, in some other foreign god. Right? There, this was all around them in their day. And I can imagine that they would need to be reminded of this fact. Is it even possible in this environment to grow in godliness when we are being saturated by all this, this noise of all these different ideas of how to live and what's best and what's true even? And Peter reminds them just how possible it is with these words. He says, His divine power, His divine power has been given to you so that you can live a holy life. Everything that we need to live a godly life. What Peter is saying to them is this. It may seem like you are being influenced by the world around you. But that is the exact reason why Jesus came. So that you could have a power greater than the powers of the world. Jesus Christ came to defeat those powers. To make it possible to live in a relationship with God. You know, if we are left to our own efforts, to our own ability to muster up some sort of godly transformation, then we would all be sunk. His divine power has been given to us and everything we need to live a godly life. And this is challenging for us, though, because we can't make excuses. Right? When, when Peter says this, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's encouraging to us because we have a hope that we can cling to, that, that God has given us all that we need in, in reconciling him to, us to himself and making it possible to be in a relationship, infusing us with his Holy Spirit so that we can grow and we can change and we can draw near to him. And at the same time, we have no excuse not to. Because we've been given everything that we need. But let me remind you, it's possible. And it's hopeful. And it's helpful. Let me lead us to our second point. That a relationship with God, a transformative relationship with God, is not only possible, it's also powerful. Remember, Peter tells us that God has given us everything that, we've, that we need, and he goes into detail about what that sort of transformation looks like in verses 5 to 7. Now, there's so much in these verses that, that's going on. I can't pick out everything, and, and we, could, we could spend hours and hours looking at how these virtues are collected and why they're put here and how they compare to the different Hellenistic virtues of the day and all of that. But what I want us to see is just a few simple things here this morning is that notice that one virtue leads to another virtue. Goodness moves on. Self-control moves on. You continue to grow. Right? That, that tells us that a relationship is so power, with God is so powerful that it allows you to continually be transformed. It's not as if you are an iPhone and you receive a software update to iOS 14. You turn it off, you turn it on, and boom. Now your home screen is customizable. That's not the way that a relationship with God works. It's a gradual thing. It takes time. It takes years even to grow in godliness. But it is promised to us. And it is so powerful. 
You know, one of the images that often gets pulled into our minds when we think about a relationship with God, Jesus says it can, the kingdom of God can be compared to a mustard seed. Right? A seed that is so small, you look at it, it's such an innocent thing. Or, or take, for example, maybe in Canada this, this speaks more to us, but, you know, take an acorn. Everyone knows what an acorn looks like. It's such a small, cute little seed, right? But then plant it and wait and wait and wait. And what comes is this gigantic oak tree, right? Oak trees are like hulk trees. These are massive, strong trees that just come from this tiny, tiny, little, little acorn. That's how powerful a relationship with God is. It's not something that just happens overnight. It's a transformation that is gradual, and it takes time, but it is so powerful that it completely transforms who you are. You know, I went off on a tangent there, so now I'm trying to find my notes again. The reason by, why being transformed by God is such an important thing in the life of a Christian is because, as I said earlier, we are not perfect people. And so to be in a relationship with a perfect God, the perfect triune God, is, is something that, that none of us can get into on our own with people around us. You can never experience the same sort of transformation if you're just in a friend group. Right? We need to be in the relationship with a perfect God, infused with the Holy Spirit so that we can continue to change and to grow in these virtues. He will do it. A relationship with God is powerful. And lastly, it's beautiful. Now there's one word in the Greek that really tips us off to this. When Peter says that we are to make every effort to grow in this kind of godliness— some of us may get into striving mode here. When you hear that word effort, you think, I can do it. <laughs> I can put in the effort. I know how to do that. I'll just work harder. I'll make sure I plan my life more strategically. I'll be more efficient. I'll make sure that I do this and this and this. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except for the fact that that's not what Peter's talking about here. That's not the effort that Peter is, is saying. And, and in fact, you know, maybe even if, if you're new to the faith or whatever, you hear this word effort and you instantly become more skeptical, thinking, yeah, this is what I don't like about Christianity. This is the legalism and the self-righteousness. It's all about effort and making it happen, making godliness happen. But if Peter was going after that sort of striving or that sort of um, self-righteousness or legalism, then he could, he had a few other words in the Greek to choose from. He could have used kapeo, which means to toil or labor for something, to work at it as if you were a farmer. Or he could have used, you ready for it? Agonizomai, which means to strive or struggle for something. But he doesn't. He uses the Greek word spude, which means to be eager or diligent about something. And Bible scholars all latch onto this word, and they say that Peter's actually getting down a level and pointing at the motivation for godliness. 
spiritual growth, an upward relationship. It comes not because we have to, but because we want to. See, Peter describes the gospel-changed person diligently growing in godliness. And this is the most beautiful thing about spiritual change because the Christian faith is that we are saved by grace. It is all a gift, in the words of Paul, so that no person can boast. It doesn't have to do with our level of godliness, our spiritual maturity, our spiritual growth. We are saved completely by grace. It's a free gift. There are no strings attached. And now if the question instantly comes, then why would I work hard and invest in this sort of long-term spiritual transformation that takes effort and energy and sacrifice? Why commit to change? Why grow? And if we respond that way, that really means that we haven't grasped the gospel. There is no way that we could be eager to change unless we understand how beautiful God is. See, religion seeks to use God for a certain purpose, but the gospel points us to the beautiful God that we are invited to serve. And I think it's characterized in this story that I want to share with you. Back a year and a half ago when we went through the Rhythms for Life series, I shared this story, and I think it applies again here. It's about a missionary named Alan Gardner. And in 1851, he was on his way to South Africa to start a new mission. And he was shipwrecked on a very remote island. He and his companions tried their very best to stay alive until somebody came to find them, but nobody came to find them. Finally, they all died. Far away from their friends, far away from their family, loved ones. They were hungry, exhausted, dying of thirst. That's, it's a terrible story. And at the same time, it's a beautiful story. Because when they finally discovered the bodies, they found right next to the body of Alan Gardner was his quiet time notebook. And they opened it up and they saw that on the very last page he had written out Psalm 34 verse 10. Where it says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And right underneath it, the last words he penned were, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. How could he say that? Because he didn't find God useful. Giving him the life that he wanted, or the family that he wanted, or the friends that he wanted, or the right salary. He found God beautiful. And that was enough to make him eager to grow closer with him, to worship him, even when everything in the world was taken away. Can you imagine the peace that comes upon a person who's able to get to that place? In that situation, When we find God beautiful, it changes us. It, it causes us to be eager to grow, 
and to be closer to God. And it fills us with all sorts of things that we thought were not possible. Peace in the face of anxiety. Hope in the place of fear. Joy every single day. Because every single day we can wake up and say, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my God loves me. I know that I am his child. This is the relationship that you were made for. How do we grow in this practically? Well, let me offer you three or four things. So first, to grow in a relationship with God, we must become people of the word. Which means we should get in the habit of reading scripture daily. I love the, the practice of, of scripture before phone. I have found that that works for me very well, which is very simple, easy to remember. And it essentially means before you open your phone in the morning, you open the Bible. And what that does is it reprograms your mind. I found that this, this actually helps me to be less anxious during the day because if I open my phone first, I'm going to open up Apple News second. And then I'm going to be saturated by all the things that are wrong in the world. But if I open up the scriptures first, I'm reminded of what is real and true. And who is the God of the world. And then when I read the news later in the day, then I sift it through that lens. Through that relational lens. I encourage you to do that. Be in the scripture every day and scripture before your phone. Second, it's find time for solitude. Whether it's five minutes, whether it's a half an hour, whether it's a, a day alone at the RBG, find time to be alone. We, if, we're, if we want to get to know a person better, what better way to do that is one-on-one with a coffee at Starbucks, asking them questions, spending time in their presence, hearing from them. That's what solitude offers to us, is a chance to be one-on-one with God. It takes time to learn how to do this, and so we have to be patient. And there's plenty of resources. If you're curious on how to grow in this, come talk to me after, because it's a journey that I'm on too. There's no, I'm not perfect at this either. Second is find time for solitude. Third is attend a Christian church regularly. There is something completely transformative about being with other people in a place of worship. And I would argue also for us as Reformed Christians, the liturgy is incredibly transformative for us as we hear words of truth about us. When we know that we are forgiven and loved when we confess our sin, then when people are disappointed with us and, or when we mess up throughout the week, we know that there is somebody who, something else that is true of us is that we are loved by God. And so it, when we come and participate in a service of worship like this, when we're surrounded by other Christians, it, it leads us to grow in living out our godliness throughout the week. And the fourth and last practice is that of gratitude. Alistair Stern says that we should all practice gratitude because it gets us away from thinking about ourselves and towards thinking about God as the giver of all things. And so gr- practicing gratitude, which is as simple as Writing down every night something that you are grateful for helps us to get out of our own selfishness 
and focus on God and what he gives to us and how faithful he is in our lives, big and small. You know, over the past little while, I've been practicing gratitude and sometimes it's a wonderful thing, like my son smiled at me and said that he loved me. And other times it's a little bit harder to come up with things you're grateful for. And so, you know, sometimes it's just coffee or a warm bed, which is, which is beautiful too. We go through these times and seasons, and practicing gratitude helps us to focus on God as the giver. And these are starting points on our journey. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a lot longer, and you've incorporated some of these practices into your life, and I would continue, continue to encourage you to do that, to invest in the spiritual disciplines whether it be prayer or meditation or fasting. These are the ways that we grow in our relationship with God. And it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And our relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives. And so invest in it. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God uh, who draws near to us so that we can draw near to you that you've come to be present with us so that we can be in a relationship with you, that you reconciled us to you on the cross so that we could grow in a relationship with you. God, we need your Holy Spirit to work in us, to encourage us, to transform us. And I pray that this would be a church where we would be devoted to the upward relationship, that we would be growing in our relationship with you each and every day. God, we know we're not perfect in this, and so we do ask that you forgive us when we fail, when we forget, when we let it slide. And help us to see you as a beautiful God. In Jesus' name, amen.